I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw it. Well, that was different. It was but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, denobulans, and things to episode 34 Ooh. of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We, as always, are here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And Jarman, remind the people what they are. Oh, those are, of course, The Muppets and Star Trek. And we do one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week, we have special Muppet Show with guest Teresa Brewer and the original series episode, The Apple. I almost feel like Teresa Brewer, question mark. (laughs) I think that's what everyone said. Yeah, so please tell us about this person that we need to know about. Well, Teresa Brewer, so looking at her career, Mm -hmm. at the time that this came out, like everyone, like you were silly not to know her. But now no one has any context. Uh, She was a singer (laughs) who became huge in the 50s with over 600 recorded songs. Wow. The recording of the song Music, Music, Music is probably what she's most known for. It was oh. actually the B-side of, of one of her early albums. She drifted between tons of genres, including jazz, and had some country kind of hits and some early rockish hits. Relatively shortly before this appearance, she scored a hit with a cover of Danny's song by Kenny Loggins. Oh. What do our listeners know her from? I can guarantee you've heard one of her recordings in a commercial or movie, but otherwise... Probably nothing. Yeah, because they kind of introduced her as like a pop star. I'm like, uh, what? At the time, she really she she had like a 30 year career by the time or 20 or 30 year career by the time she was on the show. That's crazy. Um, but now there's nothing. But music, music, music is what most people will know her from. Which she does in the, the show. That's right. And speaking of the show, this week on stage, Kermit introduces Teresa Brewer over an opening number, Cotton Fields, a lively country song that takes place on a train. It's a really nice, uh, a really nice piece. And there's yodeling. It's very exciting. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Up next, we have pigs in space. The swine trek is in dire straits when their fuel and oxygen are running out. Oh, no, but they're almost out of swill. And who's got to prepare it? Miss Piggy, because there's still chauvinist attitudes in the future. <laughs> uh, as Piggy refuses and leaves, all of the male swine trek crew panics, including scooters there for some reason. Following this is animal performing wild thing. This is an absolute Muppet Show classic, and Animal gets out of control and has to be captured by medical staff. After this, we get the great Gonzo uh, reciting Shakespeare while hanging from his nose, which goes well until he sneezes and falls. It's perfectly Gonzo. Adorable. We then get back to the old classic at the dance. All the jokes this week are about weight loss. The best joke being that someone says they're overweight, they break a hole in the floor, and then all the other dancers fall through it. We haven't seen at the dance in a while, I feel like. It's been a hot minute. Yeah. For our UK audiences, because this was in the UK spot only, there was a Dr. Teeth performing a song called Cheesecake, which is literally a song about cheesecake and the love of cheesecake. <laughs> and a cheesecake on top of the piano and some monsters joined him in singing. It was delightful. Then we returned to Muppet Labs, where Dr. Bunsen Honeydew demonstrates a nose warmer, which ends exactly as you would expect with Beaker's nose being caught on fire. <laughs> Scooter graces the stage with At the Hop, which he performs with a bunch of frogs who hop throughout the sketch. It's cute. Teresa Brewer's back with Spinning Wheel, which is just one big elaborate joke to knock down Sweetums three or four times. 
Kermit introduces Teresa one last time for music, 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 where she is a miniature version of herself performing in an old timey jukebox. It's a cute number. What else can I say? <laughs> Backstage this week, Kermit decides to cut Miss Piggy's ballet number because he says she's getting fat. And she's going to diet. Piggy goes to Teresa to ask for advice, and Teresa basically just rubs in her face that she can eat whatever she wants. Uh, and then Kermit gets his foot face put into a cake, which is, I guess, a funny moment. Kermit uh, gets a chance to look through Teresa's autograph book and realizes he is missing, but Teresa doesn't care about him. So mm. that's also kind of mean for him. And <laughs> he deserves it at this point. Uh, Piggy like breaks a scale and then karate chops it. And then she's doing a televised workout with ends with her passing out. Uh, at the end of the show, Kermit thanks Teresa. Teresa gives Kermit a big hand, literally. And everyone runs in place out of nowhere in line with Miss Piggy working out. And that's what we call the Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. Jarman, what did you think about this week's episode? Um, right off the bat, she has an opening number. Teresa Brewer, I like that they kind of jumped right into the opening number. Like, didn't waste any time. Kermit was just like, bam, opening number. Field. Um, and I, I never heard her before that I knew of. So I really like the quality of her voice because she has like a kind of roughness. It's kind of neat, kind of bluesy. Oh, yeah kind of thing to it you know it's really cool so i, I want to listen to more of her stuff now actually because i think she's a cool well, voice she has more than 600 recorded songs <laughs> apparently um i mean i definitely knew the song music 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 but i never know that she was famous for that song um but it's a rare episode where i feel like i really really enjoyed all the onstage stuff and none of the behind the scenes fat shaming because the, it was just at the time maybe it was different yeah, there wasn't the and awareness of how terrible like, that is. Remember we talked about the review Dom DeLuise and Delta Burke fighting over Twinkies or whatever it was. And that was like in a newspaper. Like maybe it was just a different, it was just more acceptable, but it just felt really mean like the whole time. Yeah. And like hearing the, that come out of Kermit's mouth where he says like, he says, I thought you were on a diet fat stuff. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Not mind cool. you. So th- this is also... And maybe this is a reflection of new current result, Kermit. That's one of the complaints about Steve Whitmire is that Kermit used to be kind of a jerk and could push people and was a little bit sharp and a little bit edgy. And Steve Whitmire, the guy who performed him after Jim died, kind of turned him into like a victim. Feel good, huggy, huggy. And that's what a lot of people's perception are of Kermit. And they forget about <laughs> early like, Kermit, like what Jim did with Kermit in the show. Yeah, it's kind of like, like a he snarky. was the, like with like ruthless backstage, do what it takes to get a show on. And the whole turn of like how in the Muppet show, he seems to never accept um, Picky's advances, whereas like everything I knew of him from the modern era, he was like in love with her, but she would always gave him a hard time. But he loved her anyway, you know? Right. So that's, that's also just a difference in Kermit. Yeah, cause he has walked all over nowadays. And back then it looks like he was oh, tough. Yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. But I mean, I think she was a good host. She was good with the Muppets. Um, I just I wish they would have featured. I like. I wish you'd gotten at least one more full song in. It seems like you got one more than I did, even because my version had the um, Mr. Teeth singing that number, but it did not have her second to last number you mentioned. I didn't have that one with the oh. Sweetums. Oh no, I did see yeah, that one with Sweetums like, on the swing. Yeah, yeah, because it wasn't really a musical number. She never got into the song enough to make it worth it, in my opinion. That's true. It was it was kind of funny because you're expecting to have a full musical number, <clears> and then it's like cut up into these little jokes which i thought that was unique but when you have somebody the caliber of Teresa brewer now that i know who she is (laughs) it feels like a waste this great talent that i just found out about that we just found out (laughs) uh well let's talk a little bit more about the music this week cotton fields that opening number that you really liked 
uh, made popular by Creedence Clearwater Revival. It was originally recorded uh, in 1940 by a jazz musician named Lead Belly. I've heard uh, that name. Who is Huddy Ledbetter was his real name. And he had some crazy legal issues. Let me tell you. So he got sent to jail in like the 19, early 1920s for legally carrying a pistol. He was put on a chain gang, escaped, took up a fake identity, was caught when he murdered a relative in a fight over a woman, went to prison, got stabbed in the neck, which he covered with a red bandana the rest of his life. That was like really his signature look was because he was covering this massive scar on his neck. He got pardoned after serving the minimum sentence, and he literally wrote the governor a nice song. How nice. And then in 1939, he was arrested again for stabbing a guy in a bar fight <laughs> in Manhattan. I could see why he's called Lead Belly. Yeah, so that's Lead Belly, the guy who wrote that song you really liked. <laughs> a Wild Thing, written by Trip Taylor and made popular by The Trogs. Uh, and Trip Taylor is also the writer of Angel of the Morning. I don't remember that one. Just call me Angel of the Morning, oh, baby. Okay, no. <laughs> yeah, Wild Thing and that were written by the same guy. Interesting. Cheesecake, written by Louis Armstrong. What? Is a, was one of the many songs that he wrote that reflected his love of food. Here's crazy, though. He was a lifelong laxative user. Oh. And and often would spout and give samples out to people because he swore by by laxative so heavily. <laughs> it's basically bulimia, just in reverse. Yeah. It's not uh, good. At, at the Hop, it was originally recorded as Do the Bop by a band called the Juveneers, and then a young Dick Clark heard it and told the group that both of those were dumb <laughs> and that they were going to change their name to the Juniors, and they were going to change the lyrics to let from Let's All... Let's all do the bop to let's go to the hop. Oh, baby. And then the rest is history. But because Dick Clark was like, no, your name is stupid. And that line doesn't mean anything. When Dick Clark tells you you're stupid, you listen to whatever he tells you next. That's right. Uh, Spinning Wheel by Blood, Sweat and Tears uh, was in the runner up spot on Billboard Top 100 for two weeks. But it was kept out by the love theme from Romeo and Juliet that was hot at the moment. Wow. I really like that song. I what know you did. You goes up must come down. <laughs> it's a good song. Uh, and then music, music, music uh, from 1950, written by Stephen Weiss and Bernie Baum. Bernie Baum would later be famous for writing a lot of songs for Elvis, including You're the Devil in the Skies and Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Oh, you're the devil in disguise. <laughs> oh, yes, you are devil in disguise. Oh, music, yes, music, are. music. <laughs> That's what people came here for, for us to sing our own renditions of all the songs in the episode. But the difference is I can actually do a pretty good Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I That's was not trying. <laughs> so, Jeremy, what was your favorite Muppeteering moment this week? Um, I'm about to say the um, the opening number because... They did a lot of choreographed, coordinated uh, Muppet movements and dance moves. And then they had to zoom in on each individual vignette of each Muppet couple that was dancing and do their little individual things. That was just like a huge endeavor. It must have been a huge endeavor. Oh, yeah. Uh, for me, I'm going to give it to Miss Piggy working out huh. only because in, in the midst of all that meanness, it was really just Frank Oz selling the performance, which I really respect when it's just one performer in the audience. True. 
And so much of the implied comedy happened below the camera, and it still managed to be funny. Like when she goes down on her back and the legs come back. And, but so much of it happened below the camera, but it was still communicated and well-performed. And so for that reason, I think I've got to give it to Frank on this one. That's a great moment. I like it. So, Jarman, tell us this week about the, the about say Muppet Trek, the Star Trek episode. We <laughs> so this week we watched The Apple, which I love this rewatch we're doing because I've obviously seen all these a few times probably, but just out of order. And I don't remember their episode name. So now it's really going to be cemented in my head. And I was like, what the hell is The Apple? I don't remember this at all. But then it's a really fun episode where the Enterprise is going to a planet that appears to be a tropical paradise. Uh, I like Eden, like Eden you would say seven times. <laughs> yes. Um, and they bring down their largest landing party we've ever seen before with uh, pretty much everybody but Scotty, Uhura and um, Sulu, which is Uhura and Sulu aren't on this episode at all. Um, but they find out quickly that the paradise this planet appears to be is very hostile and the plants are shooting things at them. The lightning bolts are killing red shirts break in half. And oh, yeah. Explode. Rocks. If you I love this. There's one part where Spock is examining one of these multicolored rocks. He's like, oh, there's many different mineral composites in here. He breaks it in half and he's like, oh, and it's very brittle. And he just tosses it carelessly. <laughs> and as he tosses it, it explodes. And he's like, oh, landmines. And so basically they're quickly learning. They need to be very careful not to destroy anything, but they also notice they're being followed. They don't know by who, but their tricorders tell them it's someone who's very agile and very quick around. Like, a, like a wild cat, I think is what they yes, said. Yes, like a wild cat. Like, what? Well, I, I thought that was cool until we saw the guy. Anyway. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> and there's a little side story where Chekhov has this woman with him, a, a yeoman who we'll never see after again, who's named Yeoman Landon. Um, and she appears to be in love with Chekhov. They're in love with each other, but we don't hear about her ever again. No. Um, but that's a here near the hero there, but she's scared and he gets to comfort her and they get to ask her weird questions later, but we'll get into that. So they finally trap the guy who they find following them. And he's this really tall, well-built guy where with bright white hair and orange skin. He's like, I am Akuta. I am the communicator of Vol. I am his voice and his ears and his eyes. And they're like, okay, let's figure out who this Akuta is. Because at the same time, the enterprise with Scotty is saying, uh, that their ship is being drained of all power and they are trying to figure out how that's happening and they're guessing it's something to do with the power source on a plant on the planet itself. So Kirk's like, oh, take us to see your Vol, this head of your um, your world here. And he's like, everyone knows who Vol is. He makes the weather. He makes the food. Uh, so they take him back to, they take the, the whole crew back to their, uh, their camp where a bunch of other people with white hair and well-built people are all there. And they eventually find out that these people are all immortal, basically. They'll live forever because their cells don't die. The weather is perfect. The sun is, is protect is they're protected from the sun. And they're basically like super hot Oompa Loompas. Super, yeah, for super hot Oompa Loompas is a great the way to put sexy it. Sexy Oompa Loompas. <laughs> and they also don't know anything about love or touching each other because they never be, need to be replaced. So they don't procreate and they don't know about love or children and that kind of thing. The touching, the togetherness. The togetherness? Oh, ho, ho. Vol made that illegal. Um, so what words are these? <laughs> love? Uh, but yet they know the rest of the language. Anyway, so yeah. they basically they also say they need to feed Vol a bunch. And so they finally take him to Vol. He's like, Vol won't talk to you. He only talks to me through my antenna sticking out of my ears. And they see this big uh, giant lizard cave type thing, which they figure is actually just a giant machine that's kind of powering all these powers of the planet and feeding these people and giving him orders through like an AI kind of thing. But they can't get in there because there's a giant force field. 
so eventually they watch the the people that Akuda's with uh, give Vol food, and he, they're allowed to go in, and the force field goes down. And they try to go in, but immediately as soon as they try to go in, a lightning bolt strikes and hurts Spock and hits him in the back. So he's like, okay, we're not getting in that way. So they try to figure out what would happen if one of these people gets replaced, but they don't really ever follow that up. They're like, oh, what if one of them has to be replaced? What would happen? Um, but instead, they cut to Chekhov and his uh, his yeoman making out in the woods. And and then to the sexy Impalumpus see. Yeah, to the sexy Impalumpus see it. And they're like, oh, what is this? They start touching and they get uh, scorned for touching each other by Akuta. Because he's like the, the touching, the togetherness. <laughs> the togetherness, love, children. Uh, so uh eventually they get a, a, a message from vol through the akuda with the antenna saying that they need to go kill all these people because they're disturbing the delicate balance of this planet so they don't know what killing is either so they have to be taught what killing is by vol which is bust them over the head with these sticks and they try to attack uh the crew and they fail because they never fought before so the crew takes them their sticks away and puts them into a, a nice little tent and they finally figure out that if they drain enough power for away from this vol um, machine being, it'll take away from its power that it needs to use to to try to destroy the. It's trying to destroy the Enterprise right now, basically by draining it of all its power. So the thing they should have done a long time ago, they finally use the phasers on the Enterprise from space and just beam shoot down lasers at the at Vol until it's uh, until it loses all its power. Yeah. That's the end. Like they could have just used that a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, so then they decide they're going to, um, you know, help this society grow independently of Vol and teach them how to reproduce and have their own society. And so they're no longer the Garden of Eden. So that's a very meandering way of, of telling you what happened to the apple. But not a lot happened, to be honest. Um, I probably said more than what was important. So that's what did fair. you think about this episode, Steve? So the things I liked, it was a good Scotty episode. That's true. Which is cool. I liked the feeders of Vol. Their childlike wonderment was really enchanting to me for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. Um, and though the, the Chekhov romance was a little bit thick, I did like that the eating comparisons carried through the entire episode. And that the payoff was that the crew was effectively the apple that brought knowledge. That's true. And like broke their paradise. Like it, it is something that has been missing from prior episodes and something I was really happy to see in the A and B plot this week carry all the way through the episode. We did discuss that the last episode, how the titles don't usually thickly tie in with the episode very well. Like they but don't I think usually the, mesh. I don't know. This episode maybe reeks of better Star Trek to come. I think that's what I wrote down, too, is that it's a great example of a good, simple, but straightforward sci-fi story like that really works. Um, um yeah. So the, the, the things that maybe didn't I disliked a little bit, that childishness that really enchanted me um by Akuta and and, and the gang um <laughs> came off as silly a few times mm. because of how childlike it was. The one I was thinking of was when he's trying to describe how they're gonna kill everyone. Yeah. We take a heavy stick and this is the stranger's head. And we do this to the stranger's head. Uh, Whack. Like, <laughs> um and it was just that that childishness was made. I like I I laughed because it was uh, so goofy in that moment. Um, and then everyone laughing at Spock was like excessive. Like I get it. Oh, when they first he first gets there and they all yeah, laugh. Yeah, at him. like what is so funny? <laughs> but like it wasn't even funny to me as an audience member. It was literally just them like overplaying the laughing at Spock joke. And the whole make the woman feel awkward scene where they're trying to 
get her to talk about why these people don't have sex and what sex oh, that is. Was so goofy. It was a little weird. And like, it just took way too long with that scene. That's the only thing I didn't really like. Well, and they went back to it. I thought they were going to have that moment and go on. It was going to be a little chuckle. And then they kind of like pushed it. And I was like, wait, why are we still on this joke? And they panned like every character the joke's looking, over. like laughing at her for not wanting to talk about sex. It was very strange. Um, so up and down, but overall I, I enjoyed this episode. Good. I thought it was more solid than I remembered too. And anytime um, when the villain of an episode is a huge fire cave with a snake face, I'm all in. <laughs> a paper mache fire cave, no less. Yes. Oh, we said that the cuteness of the people I think it was really exemplified in that first scene where, he, where Kirk just discovers him and punches him in the face, <laughs> and this giant guy turns around and he's crying because <laughs> he got hit. You struck me with your hand. <laughs> it was very endearing. It was. So what, what kind of factoids you got for us? This, this All right. Week? So that the, the shirt that Spock is in when he gets burned by the lightning was auctioned off at a science fiction convention in 1967, the same year filming wrapped. So whoever got that probably for a steal of a price uh, is probably worth thousands and thousands of dollars now. Um, so Spock's appearance at the end of the episode is jokingly compared to Satan um, in the final scene. And this resemblance, actually, for those of you who don't know, is kind of well-known factoid season about Star one. Trek. Since season one first came out, people and advertisers in particular had a lot of discomfort showing uh, Spock in their advertisements because he re- looks like a likeness of the devil, which I never understood because he just has pointy ears. There's no well, horns or well, anything. Well, here's what it is. His, his original makeup was actually a little bit uh, reddish mm. versus the green that we came to know. Um, but the issue is, is that, yes, he had, he had red skin. For people that had color televisions, he had pointy ears. But then for people that didn't have color televisions, he came off as dark-skinned. Yeah, so they just made it green instead when it came And to- they just made it green instead instead of letting him be like in blackface effectively. That would Not be on bad. purpose, but that's effectively what it would have been. I don't know if I've ever seen a picture of him with the reddish skin. That'd be interesting. Um, I read it somewhere. Um, and originally, the script for this installment called for Vol's stone dinosaur head to be destroyed by the Inter- Enterprise's phasers, which I thought was odd. I was like, why didn't they blow it up? It's just, just still there. It's just sitting there. And the reason is because the props department had put in a lot of work creating it with paper mache, and they refused to allow its destruction. Oh, <laughs> God. I thought that was cute. They're like, okay, we, we made a lot of work on that thing. <laughs> so uh, what Trek connections, Muppet connections we got this time? Uh, so Teresa Brewer, William Shatner, and Leonard Nimoy were all born in 1931. Oh. So I got that going for me. In a non-canon Star Trek book from the Star Trek Titan book series. Oh, yeah. Uh, that means anything to you. It does. Uh, Riker is deciding what to put on the dedication plaque for a new ship. He considers a Vulcan saying but then also considers a lyric from the song made famous by uh, Teresa, whatever the hell. God, I forgot Brewer. Brewer. <laughs> Teresa Brewer. It don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing. It don't mean a thing if you ain't uh, got and that swing. And then Celeste Yarnall, who played Yeoman Lando, did a single episode of Macmillan and Wife, which starred Nancy Walker, who hosted The Muppet Show. Very nice. <laughs> And here's just a fun factoid for you. This isn't a trick connection. Uh, uh, Keith Andes, the guy who played Akuta, mm-hmm. uh, he was the original voice of Birdman. Oh, really? Yes. I could to- like the Birdman cartoon from Panda Barbera. The, the original one. Yes. I could totally see that. He has a deep, you know, hero voice kind of thing. So yeah, he was Birdman. That's awesome. Yeah, I love Birdman. Bird Let's talk a little Man. bit about similarities because these were almost the same episodes. Uh, both have a ship losing all of its es- essential systems with the yeah, pigs in space. The, 
Swine Trek and the Enterprise uh, have fuel shortage and power problems. That's true. It's true. Same episode. Uh, both of the people of Vol and the Music Box people have no real life. They're just controlled by a oh, machine. Oh, that's good. Living in like an artificial world. Exactly. Uh, two people get pushed. Kirk when Spock shoves him out of the way of the plant and Kermit when his face gets shoved into a pie. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Same show. Transporter oh, no. What is that noise? Transporter malfunction. <laughs> All right, so this transporter malfunction, the part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other episode and vice versa. So what do you got for us, Steve? Uh, I've got Akuda and the feeders of Vol all coming over to replace Scooter in the at the hop number. And all the, the followers are the frogs. Nice. So like Akuda comes out very serene with his antenna and like, well, you can rock it and roll it and you can stop it. Vol has declared it at the hop. <laughs> and then all the, ve- the at the hop, 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 hop. No touching, no love, <laughs> no the children. Touching, the togetherness. Uh, I had animal. I had animal transporting over to become actual Vol. Uh, so he could <laughs> say, feeding feed me. I'm angry. Big bang with lightning. <laughs> Just be like yelling. <laughs> Uh, I've got something similar, except for I've got the cheesecake coming over and taking over for Vol, <laughs> just because I thought it was a really funny visual in my head for that, that cheesecake to be there while they're like bringing it food. Of course, it's got its own force just field. Sitting on a rock for all eternity, <laughs> being fed by these people. I have Akuda would transport over to become Kermit in this episode, and I just I want to see him standing there with his antenna, being like, "Vol tells me that you are fat, Miss Picky. Vol says it is so, <laughs> therefore it is true." <laughs> The feeders of Vol do not get fat. Vol has declared it. <laughs> you are an intruder. <laughs> so, if you do not lose weight, no one will want to do the touching, the, the togetherness. The, the love, children. <laughs> children? What a funny word. That brings us to the end of episode 34 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Steve Martin. Oh, and original series episode, The Doomsday Machine. So, from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>